0: Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology.
1: Welcome back to Revive the Drive. I'm Pastor Art Georges, joined in the studio by Pastors Rich Burkle and Daniel Bennett. And this installment of Revive the Drive is Answers to Teen Questions. And in the studio today, we have a couple of teens. First of all, TR Hoffman. TR, can you introduce yourself briefly and then uh, let us know what your question is that we can help with? Yeah, definitely.
2: I'm TR Hoffman, and I'm 15. I'm going to be a junior. Uh, I'm homeschooled as well. Um, So I guess my question is, which one of you can do the most one-handed (laughs) push-ups? Well, I'm looking
1: at the three of us, and I would say it's Daniel Bennett. So Rich and I are a little older. so I'm thinking
2: it's we are all equal. (laughs) Okay, I got you. I'm thinking the answer is zero for all of us. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, but in all seriousness. (laughs) zero. Daniel is getting on the floor. Let's see it, Daniel. Go ahead. 'all. All right. I'll just That's keep doing a great while you guys ask the question. <laughs> I do no-handed push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> I do no push-ups. <laughs> uh, all right, but in all seriousness, I know there's such a thing as righteous anger, and I, and I hear about that, but where is its place when my brother
1: is really irritating me at mm, the moment? Mm-hmm.
2: Awesome question. The question of uh, the nature of anger. So um, – how how uh, long have you had this question, Tr? <laughs> <laughs> as long as I've had brothers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is good. Yeah, and you anticipate continuing to ask it. <laughs> yeah, more or okay. less. Not bet? after today. <laughs> okay. right. uh-huh. Do you guys have any uh, thoughts about that? You know what? There's a, a classic. Uh, passage on anger in in Ephesians, and uh, of course it's that passage that says, "Be angry and don't sin," and that's that's how we get the idea of righteous anger that uh, it's possible to be angry and yet not sin uh, as a result of of being angry. So so it's uh, anger in itself is not a sin, and that's what uh, your question kind of uh, assumes, and that is a a true assumption, um, and yet. Anger all through the scripture is warned against. And even in that passage, it says, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And uh, one of the fruit of the spirits, one of the aspects of the fruit of the spirit is not anger. You know, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. (laughs) So anger is not mentioned as the fruit of the spirit. It's it's a natural reaction to being hurt. And so it's not wrong to be hurt when other people – Unrighteous
0: anger. Is that what you're well i think all describing? anger
2: is a natural reaction to being hurt so it's not wrong to to be we could discuss this but it's not wrong to be hurt when someone sins against you hmm. um it's it's wrong to be hurt when your pride is sort of of uh you know offended but if someone legitimately sins against you and you're hurt it's not wrong to have anger as a response to that and yet uh, of course you know in your situation with your brothers that Probably happens your your brother sometimes sin against you and and you feel hurt about that and you respond to that hurt in in, in some uh, uh, angry way and and so the question is what responses are righteous and what responses are sinful
0: that that's an interesting perspective rich here here's kind of how i was i was approaching let me let me see how this how this meshes with with what you're saying um, you know James four describes the the source of ungodly anger um i have i have desires and passions and and you know idolatrous expectations and those He said you know what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you is it not is not the source your pleasures that wage war and your members you lust and do not have so you commit murder your envious cannot obtain so you you fight and quarrel and so it's it's exact opposite of the fruit of the spirit that you were describing so when the source of my response is my flesh, these these things that I desire, these Id- idols that I have that aren't being worshipped in the way that I want them to be, then then my response is, is anger. And I was thinking of uh, yeah, that passage in Ephesians um, Ephesians 4, 26, Be angry and yet do not sin. You're not let the sun go down in wrath. Um, my my understanding of that has always been that a righteous anger doesn't come from a, a idolatrous frustration that my needs aren't being met, but my anger uh, is, is coming from the same source that God's anger is some, some aspect of God's Absolutely. glory is not being manifest in the way that it should. And so there's, there's anger that, that God is not being glorified the way that he has now. I can't say I've ever achieved that balance perfectly, you know. Well, sure. Of yeah. Of, sure. of only being upset that God's glory is not manifested rightly.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's uh um it's oftentimes it's very personal anger is. And so we asked the question, would I would I have the same response when when mm-hmm. one brother right. treats me this way as I would when that same brother treats my other brother that way, or I treat mm-hmm. my brother that yeah. way. Because, <laughs> because, right, or what I treat, but but it's it's still interesting how when well, the brother does it toward us, we're really angry and offended. And when that same brother does the same thing to another brother, say, well, you know, it probably shouldn't have done that. But and so that shows us that it's not really a God-centered response when we don't have the same kind of offense about the sin. We should be, we're right to be offended about the sin. But we're wrong to be more offended at sin because it's, it's an offense against our, um, I guess, our, our uh, esteem, our pride, our person. Right. So you're saying right. that's a good way to determine, I guess, or start to determine what's righteous anger versus sinful
1: anger. Right, you know, and God uses these interactions uh, in relationships for sanctification. He's put us in relationship. He intends for us to be in relationship because uh, he he wants us to be more like Christ. And so, we're having an interaction that's leading to anger. We need to back up the train and say, "Okay, what am I thinking about this interaction, and what does this other person?" need? How can I minister to them in the midst of this so that they can be more like Christ or see Christ in me more? And how can I humble myself in a way that fights against this inclination of James 4 that I'm not getting my own needs met? So uh, God has intended for these things to be a part of our sanctification process. So you can give thanks when you feel that. you know Be angry, but don't sin. Say, okay, thanks, God. You're helping me to identify an area in my heart that is a idol, and you're helping me to see perhaps in my brother or another individual an area that they need to be ministered to, and how can I best do that through this interaction?
0: So are you, are you kind of describing fruit in both circumstances? You can kind of determine what type of anger it is by the fruit the anger is producing. Right.
1: Right. And, and so, you know, a great question in, in that midst is help me to understand. Not uh, A lot of times I want to jump to motives, you know. My brother did this to me because he's just mean. He's not a nice kid. And, um, but help me to understand what it is that, you know, you need from me or why you did this or what I did to provoke this.
2: Yeah, I think the first question when we become angry at, at someone's uh, action or attitude or words toward us is to ask, is God displeased with this person's, um, this person's actions, attitudes, or words? So um, sometimes we're offended because that person doesn't treat us like we're the center of the universe that we know we are. <laughs> yeah. And other times that person, we're angry because that person has 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 displeased God. They've they've sinned against us. And you know there really is no good place to take the kind of anger that. I'm angry or upset because you didn't treat me like the center of the universe. So, you know, a person doesn't invite us to their birthday party. Is God really displeased that they didn't invite us? We might be hurt because we thought we were a closer friend than that. But really, they probably have not sinned against us. And the only place to take that is to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, please forgive me for uh, thinking more highly of myself than I ought to. But if, if in that same sense, situation, they told you they were going to invite you, and then they didn't, <laughs> then they've lied to you, and they've given you an expectation, and they lied to you, and then you have a right to, feel, to be hurt because they have displeased God. But when you, when you discover that it's that kind of anger, it's still so dangerous. You know once someone said that uh, anger is one letter away from danger. It's because our flesh gets excited, and we tend to have our flesh respond in kind then to their sin. And at the end of Ephesians, so Ephesians 4.26, be angry, don't sin, don't give the the devil an opportunity. And then Ephesians 4.31 and 32, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. we got to get rid of it. And then he sort of gives us how, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you.
1: Excellent question, T.R. Thank you for that, and I'm sure that will help a lot of our listeners. Well, uh, also joining us in the studio this morning is Wesley Phillips. And Wesley, can you introduce yourself briefly and, and let us know what your question is? Well, uh, I am Wesley Phillips. I just graduated from... Mossville, grade school. Going to be a freshman that uh, coming fall. Okay. So my question is: um, If God knows what will happen, you know He's ob- omnipotent. Uh-huh. So, uh, what does prayer do? Great question, man. These guys are hard.
0: That's a yeah. You know we we asked uh, we asked that question of our church one time. We I did a survey when I was in, in grad school and. See, the, the question, or the, and people had to say whether or not they agreed with the, with the theological statement. And so the statement was, uh, prayer changes the way that God acts, was the statement on the, on the survey. What, what do you think about that
1: statement? Well, um, hold on to your first part of your question. <laughs> <laughs> Stay the course. I don't really know. Yeah, well we
0: didn't either, a lot of us. That was that was the most controversial uh, statement on the whole entire theological survey was that was that statement. How does prayer affect the way the guy? So acts?
2: Wesley thought he was being invited to revive the drive entitled uh, Answers to Teens Questions. <laughs> but really he's being Turning invited to answers to Pastors Questions. <laughs> and the teens are answering. <laughs> That uh, is a, a great question. You know, so um, certainly we know that prayer is not the means by which God becomes informed. So um, it, it's not as though He's not uh, He's not uh, knowledgeable of every detail behind every need of our life, and prayer is not a means by which I need to give not God some knowledge that that He doesn't have either about. My circumstances or about what's going on inside of me. Uh, Prayer is a means by which we come before the Father to align our will with his and to seek his provision for us. That uh, while God is sovereign and he is omniscient and he is in absolute control, he designs for us to uh, use the instrument of prayer as the means by which we receive his blessing. And so, you know, we may get really theological about would God have blessed us if we didn't pray or, or or did pray, but it's very clearly, we do not have because we did not ask, that there is a means, an instrument by which God provides his blessing and his grace to us, and that means
1: his prayer. There are areas in theology or the study of God and really how we relate to him that are held in tension. Uh, we, we've talked about an earlier one as well and uh, when we talked about um, God's election but man's responsibility. And, and one of the areas that's held in tension is this issue of prayer and God's sovereign will. And uh, Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10 says, I am God and there is no other, I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. And Ephesians 1.11 says that God works out all things in accordance to the counsel of his will. And so where does our prayer fit in in that uh, scenario? Well, uh, again, it's relational. And um, we see in the person uh, of Christ in the garden, a wrestling with the Father's will. And we do that through prayer oftentimes. And we Prayer is a means whereby God wants to place in our desires what he wants us to have. And so um, we go to the Lord in prayer, and sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says go. Sometimes he says slow. And and so uh, we cling to God, and how we do that is relationally through our prayer.
0: That, that passage you mentioned, Isaiah 46, I think is so crucial as we think about these, these tensions you alluded to. A couple of chapters later, Isaiah 48, he talks about the reason he does that. He says, I declared the former things long ago. That's Isaiah 48, 3. And then later he says, I declared them to you long ago. Before they took place, I proclaimed them to you so that you would not say my idol has done them. Mm. My graven image and, and molten mm-hmm. image have, have commanded them. So I, th- I think, Wesley, your your question is so good because it rightly recognizes there's something unique about God's sovereignty. God is a God who who does ordain the things to come from long ago, and and an idol can't do that, um, a false god can't do that. Only our sovereign God can do that. And yet, at the same time, He tells us to pray to Him. And you come to a passage like Amos seven, and it says the the Lord showed me. It talks about He He showed uh, Amos this this locust swarm that was coming, and uh, He showed Amos the locust, eating the vegetation of the land. I said. Lord God, please pardon. How can Jacob stand, for he is small? The Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so his His beseeching of the Lord changed what happened. Uh, same thing. The Lord showed me uh, things being consumed by fire. And I said, Lord, please stop. How can Jacob stand, for he's so small? The Lord changed his mind about this. This too shall not be, said the Lord God. And then there's a third time where he shows him judgment and he says, no, this this is going to take place. And so what, what I think you have there is, uh, Amos clearly understands that that God is a sovereign God and and what God has decreed to take place will take place and yet our our prayers interact with him in such a way that that God has ordained not just the end what's going to happen but he's also ordained the means by which those things are going to take place and and our prayers truly do affect what happens in the universe and yet, even our prayers have been directed by a sovereign God. I, th- I think that's kind of how those two things kind of tie together.
2: And, of course, we live on this human plane in which uh, it's right for us to see a one-to-one correlation between our actions and God's provision. So, for instance, if if you are starving to death and you pray, Lord, nourish my body, nourish my body, and then God sends uh, a grocer to your house to – give you food and cook it for you and set it in front of you and you're saying no lord i'm i'm waiting for you to nourish my body <laughs> nourish my body well that's that's silly you're you're going to starve to death and you can't say well god didn't answer my prayer god didn't do what i expect he's sovereign so if you want to nourish my body he could have just nourished my body without me eating but the means by which god intends to to nourish your body is that you would take that food and you would eat it and just as uh, I think that's a, a fair analogy to how prayer works is that God says, I will provide for you, but you must ask. And uh, so Jesus in Luke 11, for instance, says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks will be opened. And uh, so we have a God who delights for us to come to him and invites mm-hmm. us to come to him who is sovereign and who is absolute control and powerful. And he says, this is the means, this is the mm-hmm. means. So come and ask.
1: Yeah. So um, there's a picture that I read once that helped me to kind of think through God's sovereignty and how he wants us to participate with his sovereign plan through prayer. And and one author stated it as uh, God's got this sovereign plan, but he doesn't want to carry us along with it and to accomplish it like a mama cat would carry its little kitten by the scruff of the neck, you know, um, rather, uh, he would rather it be pictured like a little monkey clinging to its mama, jumping from tree to tree. God wants us to cling to him in the midst of accomplishing his will, looking to him through prayer and clinging rather than to be carried along, um, as the mama cat might carry her kitten. Um, so, uh, great question, difficult question, and yet uh, at the end of the day, we remember that we pray because God commands us to, and so we want to be faithful. Uh, Samuel would say to Saul, far be it from me to sin and not pray for you. And so uh, we we carry that in our hearts as the best answer to a difficult question. Well, thanks for joining us, men, and we'll uh, uh, we'll look forward to Seeing you again in the studio shortly with Revive the Drive.